In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Respectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. I am back. <laughs> I just wanted to say, wonderful, wonderful job hosting the pod last week, Michael. Uh, it was really great to hear all of your guests. It was some really interesting conversations. I definitely learned a lot. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, it. It was, so, a, it was a lot of fun. So I hope that... Yeah, so, so I hope that people that were listening learned a lot from that as well. Uh, today is a very exciting episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Trump is doing now. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to talk about the ousting of Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming uh, from the Republican Party, or at least the uh, leadership within the Republican Party. And then we're going to finish by talking about taxes, which I'm sure is, uh, <laughs> I'm sure is on many of your minds right now. Uh, I feel like our third segment is often like one of the most interesting, but also one of the ones with like the least interesting subject matter on its face like <laughs> today we're going to talk about the mundane thing you've been avoiding for a year <laughs> yeah yeah it's like we're going to talk about ooh that crazy thing trump said ooh that insane thing the republican party is doing and taxes <laughs> exactly yeah and as always if you like the show and you want to support us you can head on over to our patreon page at patreon.com slash deeper spectrum and throw us a couple of buck a couple bucks to uh, you know, help support the show and get access to some dope exclusive patron content. Yeah, absolutely. And you help to support us with the content that we put out. And one of the most important parts of that content is, of course, the COVID numbers. That was such a stretch. That was nice. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. It I, is. I, I, it I is had, very important. <laughs> I had something creative in my head, and then halfway through it, I just decided, eh, screw it. I'm just going <laughs> to... It's my show. I don't have to try. <laughs> well, well, most most of our major transitions, I just you know we just throw music on there and yeah. it feels natural. Yeah, so yeah. like when I have to do the vocal transition, mm. it's just awkward. Well, just bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> all right. Now we'll okay, go on so the COVID fine. numbers. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, COVID numbers. All right. So worldwide at this point, uh, a total of 165 million people have gotten COVID which is up from 162 million last week. So that's about 3 million new cases or about a 1.9% increase in total cases. So far, 3.48 million people have died from COVID, which is up from 3.36 million people last week, which is about a 3.6% increase or about 120,000 new deaths this week. Um, that is a bit lower than last week, but still very, very high. Um, so far in the world, 20 doses uh, of the vaccine have been administered per 100 people worldwide, which is up from 18 doses per 100 people last week, which is, it's pretty remarkable how like steady that increase has been. It's pretty much been an additional two doses per 100 people every week for like months at this point. 
in the U.S., we've hit 33.8 million cases, which is up from 33.6 million last week, which is just a 0.6% increase, which is actually the smallest week-over-week increase we have seen since the start of the pandemic on a percentage basis. Mm. Um, now, still, that's still 200,000 new cases, um, so still a pretty high daily case rate. Um at this point, we've reached 602,000 deaths. So we finally broke the 600,000 death mark, you know, a little bit over a year or so into the pandemic. And that 602,000 deaths is up from 599,000 last week, um, which is about a half a percent or about 430 new deaths per day. And in the U.S., we've had uh, one dose administered to about 48% of the population, which is up from 46% last week. So a little bit better than the week-over-week increase in our, at the time of our last show, which was just one, uh, one percentage point. Now it's up to two percentage points, but still way slower than we need and still way below what's necessary for herd immunity. Uh, that being said, you know we're at 38% of the U.S. being fully vaccinated, which is up from 36% last week. Um, so we're like, it's sad to me that our, you know, fully vaccinated population is getting so close to our yeah. one dose population because so, you know, because like people are getting the first dose at declining rates. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely concerning. And also, just when the CDC has announced, if you are vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask indoors. Now, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people are still wearing masks indoors. Sure. Um, partially because of sort of the air of social acceptability. Yeah. I think that, but like one of the concerns that I had when the CDC first made that suggestion, and I believe I brought up this concern on the pod before, is does this mean that we're going to be having people who are not going to be wearing masks in public who have not been vaccinated? Mm -hmm. And then when they're accosted by an employee, they're like, Hey, well I'm vaccinated. So I don't need to to wear this. So like how, how much do we trust the American population or at least certain facets of the American population, I should say to tell the truth about that. And based on how many people are still wearing masks, we don't trust them very much. (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess, I guess I would just, I would just have to say like, I'm still wearing masks inside Mm -hmm. until it does start to get to the point where there does seem to be a sort of social change as well. Um, yeah. And you know, that that's, that's partially just about, being courteous and stuff. And the fact it, is, I'm not trying to make a political point. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of like, a lot of businesses still have mask requirements, which makes yeah. total sense because yeah. only 46% of the population or 48% of the population has had at least one dose. Like, you, you wouldn't take off a mandate until you get to a point where most of the people that are coming in your store are, are protected and are protecting your employees. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You ever wonder how we got here, Michael? <laughs> every every day, every I should say every night when I wake up in a cold sweat, screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you just you just sit around and you think, 
like you know how there's that that cartoon moment at the beginning of a movie where there's a guy who's flying through the air in a car upside down in slow motion and then everything stops and you just hear this narration saying you're probably wondering how i got here (laughs) well there's a two-word answer for that and that is donald trump (laughs) i loved that analogy because it was like it was so specific to us like a few movies that came out in the 90s where people had like, you know, like mid thigh length leather jackets and like spiky frosted tipped hair. And you're like, <laughs> no, yeah, it's a very specific reference, genre reference. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump is a huge reason why we're here. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not just because of him screwing the pooch on the pandemic, sure. which he absolutely did. Yeah. It's also because of how his rhetoric regarding the pandemic basically discredited the urgency of it. Like behind the scenes, he was straight up telling uh, journalists like Bob Woodward, yeah, this is totally serious. It's not just the flu. Um, So the issue is when we get to the point where we actually have a cure for it, when we actually have a vaccine for it, people are more likely to be like, yeah, I don't need that. Yeah. Which also, which also, um, coincidentally, a lot of the people that believed that COVID was a conspiracy to begin with are more likely to believe conspiracy theories regarding the vaccine. Mm. And a lot of that can be traced back to Trump. Yeah. So one of the, for our first segment, we thought we'd talk a little bit about where the former president is now. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? What's going on? You know, has he finally had his come to Jesus moment in which he realized, you know what? I lost that election. I really need to do some self-reflection. I really need to think about ways in which I can do better for my country, for my party, for those around me. And I need to accept my current position and move on with my life. Who do you think you're talking about? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Emma Thompson, not like Donald Trump. And that's the thing. So like, so you might wonder like, why the heck we're talking about Donald Trump? You know, and one of the reasons is, as Nathan mentioned, like, you know, he is a large reason why we're here. And the reason why he, you know, is so responsible is because of his reach because of how many people he's historically been able to to speak to and convince um and that will be and and whether he has that reach or not will be key to the fact to whether he is a relevant honestly threat in the future um and so where he is now really makes a difference for 2022 2024 um and just his influence on our country and the Republican Party and and the risks that he poses. So where he is right now is Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> and you know in, in case in case it wasn't clear when I was talking about how, you know, maybe he's been self-reflective and he's accepted the fact that he lost. Nope, he is straight he's up not. crashing weddings <laughs> at Mar-a-Lago to give speeches about how the election was stolen. I am not making this up. All right, there's a video of it. There's a video of him crashing a wedding at Mar-a-Lago saying, quote, so it's a rough thing. And I just say, do you miss me yet? 
We did get 75 million votes. No one's ever gotten that. They said, get 66 million votes, sir, and the election's over. We got 75 million. And they said, you know, you saw what happened. 10.30 in the evening, all of a sudden I said, it's a strange thing. Why are they closing up certain places, right? Now, a lot of things happening right now. I just wanted to say, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> you are a great and beautiful couple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. It's like he woke up and all of a sudden he was like, oh, shit, where am I? Oh, my God. <laughs> you better hold off on the Diet Coke. sad, pathetic child. Yeah. Like, who does that? That's Who does that? Painfully awkward. That's like, it, it, like it, in my mind, he like wasn't invited to the wedding. He just like <laughs> stumbled in. Like, yeah. Like, well, uh, I, like, a re- like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. The legs were stolen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I honestly don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean. Well, he was but, dressed but in a thing, tux, so. Yeah, he was dressed in a tux, so I, he must have plans to go there. I, I, yeah. I don't know. But like, just imagine anybody else doing that <laughs> like that's that's a cartoon moment in 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 rom-coms yeah like that's the cartoon moment in a rom-com where your drunk ump uncle like is given a microphone and they're just like all right like, let me just tell you about <laughs> the commies and how they tried to kill me at the grocery store today. <laughs> like that 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 is this. Yeah, this is why you don't just let guests give toasts, even if they're the former <laughs> president of the United States. So, but like that's the thing. Like, we realized he was at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like not surprised that he's out there, literally, like, like interrupting weddings to try to get his message out because he has been largely cut off from being able to reach his like millions yeah. of supporters and that's because yeah. after following the the capital riots and his you know vocal support for them he was banned from facebook twitter youtube snap snapchat like all these platforms that were his main vehicle for reaching millions of people um yeah. and so if you if if you think you've been hearing about trump or hearing from trump uh, and hearing people talk about him a lot less it's because you have so so following um, the week after he was banned, uh, following January 6th, mentions of Trump went down 34% on Twitter and 23% on Facebook. And since then, they've continued to dec- decline uh, by about 90% on both platforms um, from where they were the week of the riot. So, like, he used to be mentioned, you know, millions and millions of times, and that has fallen back down now to levels similar to what they were before he was president, so prior to prior to his run for the 2016 election, which is like, on the one hand, not too surprising. When a former president leaves office, they leave the spotlight. But that's really important because of his vow to, you know, return, I'll be back, you know, <laughs> as the leader of the Republican Party and, and the way that he's continuing to be treated as the leader of the Republican Party. Yeah. So in response to this, uh, he basically made this big deal about how he was going to go off and create his own social media website. <laughs> and he so, did it. So, so, yeah, and he <laughs> did it. But here's here's what the social media comp the social media website actually entails. Only he can post on it. 
like and people can can share his stuff to like facebook or twitter or whatever um and he has the ability to basically just write whatever he wants to people that specifically people that visit this website Mm -hmm. so it's a blog yeah (laughs) it's like (laughs) he made a fucking blog (laughs) he's such a lonely kid he he tried to take his ball and go home and it turns out that he forgot the social part of social media (laughs) and apparently like only about there's only been like about like 200,000 I, I I don't know if how if it's measured like views reactions but like yeah yeah s- like the 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 reach that he has with that he's had with this thus far mm-hmm. is like like he could I mean you know he had millions of followers on Twitter he could yeah he could like go to it over he could go to Twitter 90 million yeah, he could go to Twitter, he could press space and then mm-hmm. post that and he'd still get probably like a million retweets. Yeah. Like Yeah. And, and just how much he has been downgraded. Like if it weren't for the fact that, you know, I know who this guy is and he's fucking terrible, mm-hmm. I'd almost feel bad for him. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so so I think almost. The, the number you were mentioning I think is so in the first week of launching this blog, he had around 212,000 engagements. engagements. Uh, so an engagement is like anytime it is um, linked, uh, any social media actions or interactions that come from that, like likes, shares, or comments on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it's posted. So literally the, the whole reach of, that, of, his, of his blog in the first week was only 212,000 basically clicks. Um, yeah. which is a remarkable fall, as Nathan mentioned, from the millions of people that he used to reach with his messages. And like partially, maybe that's because they're actually, they really are blog posts. They're like at least yeah. 200 words or more versus, you know, the 100 and, or 260, I think, at the end there, characters that you could do in a tweet. Um, and I think ultimately, like part of that is that his, the key to his approach, which 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 is what made his personality so um, attractive to his his uh, you know followers and supporters, was his approach of just going into a situation and throwing gas on a fire, and you know they're not interested in Mr. Trump's nuanced opinion, you know they're not interested yeah. in Mr. Trump's two hundred fifty word blog post. They're interested yeah. in like all of the reverberations that come from a short pointed, widely spread uh, tweet or, or Facebook post. And so without those platforms, not only is, you know, he not only is his reach weaker, he is weaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's a man who's incapable of nuance and that's just not appealing if you're actually sitting down to read a blog post to, to, mm-hmm. to read a whole article, like it's almost impossible to have nuance in 280 characters. Sure. So he thrives in that. Yeah. And, and nuance is exactly what cripples the democratic party, right? Like yeah. having to say the more complicated version is exactly yeah. what, you know, loses people's attention and focus yeah no that's 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 why that's why democrats often lose um the rhetorical debate with um with republicans and that's how republicans manage to stay relevant yeah and also like with 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 a short post with 140 characters 
a supporter can take that and make it into whatever they want. You know, yeah. right? Like it it can literally spawn a a entire world of conspiracy theories <laughs> that yeah. that believes that like the poster is, you know, some godlike figure that's that's taking down the you know corrupt infrastructure from the inside like you can literally take that from a bunch of mostly incomprehensible incoherent tweets yeah but the thing is the the big question here i think is whether these bans will be permanent because facebook is still trying to figure that out and i think that's going to be really key to to the future of of his role and also just the future of the electability of the republican party and that also does create another important conversation that I think that Michael and I have definitely touched on in the past, which, look, I, I have talked about how I, on principle, am not okay with them banning mm. the president from Twitter. Well, with banning anybody from Twitter, uh, with banning anybody from social media platforms. Now, I do understand, yeah, here's that nuance. I do understand <laughs> that when it comes to private companies it has nothing nothing to do with the first amendment because the first amendment applies to what the government can do but if you do believe in a principled stance of people should be allowed to say what they want to say if you believe that on principle then you have to be you have to not be okay with that now that doesn't mean that if someone says something stupid or racist or ignorant or wrong that you don't call them out that's your free speech mm-hmm. right you use your free speech to tell them like you know you're an asshole or you're wrong because of x y and z but giving that type of power to a bunch of people in silicon valley i think is stupid i think it's a bad idea now all of that being said in this specific case it fucking worked yeah <laughs> it worked yeah and and to be fair they had a good fucking reason, you know, like they what, did like now. Now, and, and I get I get your point. And I think I think you're right about the approach to social media and free speech overall. I I think it's a little bit less clear cut in cases of like, quote unquote, like incitement to violence or something like that. Well, but when it comes to incitement of violence, my argument would be, OK, take down that specific tweet. Yeah. All right. If yeah, someone yeah, yeah. tweets something that incites violence or goes on YouTube and does a video inciting violence or, you know, or commits defamation of character or yeah. whatever, something that violates terms of service yeah. in a way that's not protected by law, mm-hmm. then my argument would be, you know, number one, use that as evidence in order to prosecute them if they sure. have violated the law. Yeah. Number two, take down that specific tweet or post or video. Yeah. Don't like, don't ban them. That's a great point. I mean, there's no sense in which Facebook couldn't keep up with Donald Trump or yeah. Twitter couldn't keep up with him. He just doesn't, he, you know, no one types that fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and the other thing, I, I've, I've made this argument before. Um, when we allow Silicon Valley to be the, the, the decider of what the truth is, that sets a dangerous precedent. I mean, think about, I've used this example before, think about the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. All of these media outlets were reporting as fact that Saddam Hussein had WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. They were, they were saying this was fact, all right? 
because that's what the U.S. intelligence community was telling them, and their sources inside the U.S. intelligence community was were straight up lying to them. Mm-hmm. Now, we knew that they didn't have WMDs because the U.N. had actually sent over their own investigators like a few months prior to our invasion of Iraq, and they came back and said, yes, there is nothing, there is no evidence that they have them. We didn't find any WMDs. Mm-hmm. So it was like... It, it wasn't like nobody knew that they didn't. Like, the United Nations <laughs> already knew that they didn't. But the thing is, the entire, almost the entire media apparatus, like, established that as the, well, of course they do position. Mm-hmm. So if Facebook existed back then and you had people posting about how, oh, well, you know, they clearly don't have weapons of mass destruction, would that just be taken down? Seems to me like it would. I mean, I don't think, I, like, if you were to look at today's examples, it almost certainly wouldn't, you know, like, like they don't, they might fact, they might put, like, put a fact check link on there, but they, but they don't take down posts that are, that wouldn't violate terms of service, you know, like, like spreading, spreading a lie, even though that, well, but that if case they, is but like if that one. has been established, if that has been established as like a lie, if, if they have decided anybody that don't spreads this information, lies. they take down, well, like, they take down like other other things like inside well, violence it de- it de- and things like well, that. Well, it depends. But. There there have been people that have gotten their accounts suspended for passing anti-vax information, like on Twitter. Like that has happened. Hmm. And there have had people who have straight up been suspended from Facebook. Uh, I don't know, like, I, I haven't heard any cases of it being indefinite, but, you know, there, there very well might be um, because of spreading that information. Now, to be clear, they shouldn't be spreading that information. Sure. It, it's terrible that they're spreading that information. But why is it that Facebook, that Twitter, why is it that they are the ones that decide what that truth is? Mm. Yeah, and why is it I mean, some that, stuff and not other stuff? Because like I think exactly. like if you were to say like if you were to come up with a a super fake post about you know s- some other international conflict, they probably wouldn't take that down. But if it was like yeah, that anti-vax information, they probably would. Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, th- all of this is to say, like, I'm not saying that social media companies shouldn't do anything, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that anything goes. Obviously, if you do have an instance in which a person does incite violence, remove that post. Sure. And then law enforcement should use that as that post as evidence. Yeah. In order to prosecute them. Yeah. But I would say that if we're talking about punishments, that should be up to law enforcement. I don't think that should be up to like billionaire oligarchs. Yeah. And ultimately... All of this has to be, I mean, just the, the very, like the very thing that we're talking about, you know, disagreement we just had was because their policies are judgmental, ad hoc, not transparent. Like they're not the kind of thing that adequately and justly determines the treatment of people on their platform. So yeah. like those are the minimum standards that would be necessary to say that these companies should have any like role in this at all. But I think you're right that like ultimately the argument could be made that they, they really shouldn't. Yeah. And maybe another, another reason why I have an automatic visceral reaction when this happens is because my YouTube channel 
was mm-hmm. a victim in the adpocalypse. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, basically there were a bunch of advertisers that went completely insane um, because there was apparently uh, one, like there was like one white supremacist video um, that had a specific product being advertised on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically YouTube did this like overnight they demonetized almost all political channels and they created an algorithm that demonetized like that demonetized almost everything for just the most insignificant reasons. Hmm. And so my channel, which is primarily about autism advocacy, yeah, it got hit really hard because there was something weird in the algorithm where any time the word autistic was in my title or in my description it would immediately flag it as inappro- as potentially inappropriate because oh the algorithm did not distinguish between people advocating for autistics and people using autistic as an insult. Jesus. So like almost all of my videos got demonetized overnight. Yeah. Now, I don't really make a lot of money doing it, but that does that does make but it so did, that it doesn't show up screwed. in the algorithm as much. Yeah. 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 Well, it limits your also, reach, it limits your advocacy yeah, and it, it limits, and it literally limits the reach treats you the same way that it would treat a hostile actor yeah. because it's too dumb to know the difference, yeah. which is yeah. inherently a, an unequal and, and, and ridiculous treatment that like, again, is not yeah. something you could fix is not something that trans that's transparent. Like I'm sure it wasn't like, Hey, if you want to get this video deflagged, like just write us a note about how much you like autistic people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what my point is there is to basically, is to point out the fact that, okay, in this, in this situation, let's use this, this situation as an example. So say that there is a person on YouTube who is posting videos about how like, uh, like autistics suck. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> screw autistics. <laughs> like, say, say there's someone who's posting a video. About Sounds that. nuanced. Now, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, as an autistic, like, of course, I'd be offended by that. Mm. I, I would be angry about that. I might even, you know, if if it got a lot of reach, I might even post a video calling it out. Mm-hmm. But what if you had a large group of people saying, "All right, I want to, I want to make it so that this video gets demonetized." Mm-hmm. So then you go to YouTube and you say, hey, I, I, I want you to demonetize this channel or I want you to you know, create an algorithm, algorithm that fights against this channel. And then the result is that my channel, which mm-hmm. advocates against that stuff, gets demonetized. Yeah. I mean, that specifically might not be what happened, but that effectively is what happened. Yeah, totally. So... You might celebrate the victory that people that you don't like get deplatformed or get taken down, you know, in, in, in various different social media companies. But what happens when that blows back on you? What mm. happens when it's someone you like? What happens when it's you? Like, th- that's, that's my primary concern. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't know what the right answer is to this. Mm-hmm. Because obviously... Deplatforming worked in this situation. Yeah. I I don't I, I if if you were to ask me, all right, well give us give us an explanation of a better alternative to make sure that disinformation and misinformation 
peddled by Donald Trump, peddled by anti-vaxxers, peddled by white supremacists, is not spread the way that it currently is. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. But I do not think the answer is giving the power to oligarchs to deplatform. And now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Michael, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Uh, well, Nathan, I'm glad you asked because, um, oops, I did it again. I played with your heart. Got lost in the game. Oh, baby, baby. Oops, I think I'm in love. But I'm sent from above. I'm not that innocent. Damn it, you did it again? <laughs> And, and also, yeah, and also to make the world a better place. In addition to doing oh, okay. it again, okay, yeah, yeah, the other thing. Well, too. we can do that again. Sure, that's actually something that we do every week, every so, time. Yeah. So that's a so that's something that we can actually. Oops, do we again. made the world better again. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan, I mean, what is our tip for good this week? It's pretty innocent. Yeah. <laughs> um, our tip for good this week is sort of a more practical one. So. If you listen to this podcast regularly and we talk about the types of things that make you want to keep coming back, odds are you're probably already vaccinated <laughs> or at least you've had one dose of the vaccine. If you're not, you know, you definitely should. But if you have been vaccinated, the tip for good this week is that it's your responsibility to forgive the pun, virally spread <laughs> the need for vaccines. And specifically, the people you want to focus on are the people that are closest to you. So a lot of studies have demonstrated that celebrities speaking out about how great vaccines are, about how great the vaccine is, and how important it is to get vaccinated, doesn't actually have that big of an impact on vaccine hesitancy because mm -hmm. right now the biggest barrier to herd immunity in the united states is that vaccine hesitancy so the tip is talk to the people that you love that you care about the people that you are close to and try to convince them to get vaccinated and here's here are the best ways in which you can do that so number one Listen to their concerns, all right? It is so tempting to hear someone say something like, oh, I'm afraid that bits of dead baby are going to be in the vaccine, or I'm afraid that it's going to make me infertile, or I'm afraid that it's going to put a microchip in me. It is very easy to listen to that stuff and to laugh at it, to chastise it, to be like, Seriously, you think that? Are you a fucking idiot? It is so easy to do that. And honestly, I've done a little bit about uh, a little bit of that on this pod. <laughs> yeah, but it's just us. No one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but but when you're actually trying to convince somebody who is skeptical to change their mind, that's not effective. Mm -hmm. So, the best way to do it is number 1, listen to their concerns and Try to understand who is it that they find credible, all right? And try to use who they find credible, like statements from people that they might find credible 
in order to address those concerns. But number two, so, and this so is when the Tucker most- Carlson says, how effective is this vaccine? You go, oh, that's a great question. Why don't we go find out? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> nah, yeah, no, that that's yeah. Um, but also, number two, a lot of vaccine hesitancy centers on emotional reactions rather than logical reasoning. And unfortunately, what that means is that emotional appeals are probably going to be the most uh, the, the most significant. In fact, there is uh, there have been several experts that have been studying this and several people that run uh, immunization clinics that have spoken out about this. Uh, there is actually uh, this one uh, medical doctor who uh, runs a, a, a clinic in Florida and said that almost all of the former skeptics that, uh, that she has administered doses to have, quote, changed their mind because someone they love told them to because they saw people around them getting vaccinated. So you need to tell people that that might be skeptical about it. Listen, I'm vaccinated and I'm fine. I love you. I care about your well-being. I don't want you to get COVID. Mm-hmm. I am terrified of you getting COVID. And the idea of you getting that disease and you suffering from it and potentially dying from it terrifies me. Please get the vaccine. Hearing it from someone they love, not just some random ass celebrity that they don't care about, that's powerful. And it might not convince everybody, but it's worth trying. So you have the power to do that. Please try. And that's tips for good. So for our next segment, we are talking about um, some of the recent news and tumult in the Republican Party around Liz Cheney. And we want to talk about who the heck she is, why this is important, uh, and why this is a weird move by the Republican Party. (laughs) Yeah. So before we talk about her um, committing the Republican sin of not giving in to the big election lie. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about who she is. And the intention of this is to caveat the fuck out of everything that we're about to say. Yeah. The biggest caveat is fuck Liz Cheney. <laughs> fuck Liz yeah, Cheney. I think that's an She's episode a title. <laughs> terrible, disgusting, heartless, sociopathic individual. She is a a a war hawk. Mm-hmm. She is she has never met a war that she hasn't loved. Yeah. She is including a, Iraq. And and yeah, the jury's been back Iraq. on that for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um she's condemned uh Biden's plan to withdraw from Afghanistan as being mm-hmm. reckless. You know, as if staying there isn't reckless. Mm-hmm. Um she is completely bought and owned by defense contractors. One of the biggest reasons why so many Republicans and actually many Democrats even are pro war most of the time is because defense contractors spend money on super PACs in order to get them reelected. And she is very guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Um, she has uh, condemned the notion of even 
modest cuts to the Pentagon budget, which is already bloated. She has condemned moderate cuts to any type of draw, drawing back of military spending, which is bloated. Mm-hmm. Um, she has uh, she viciously opposed the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. Um, she dismissed the American Rescue Plan, you know, the, the stimulus package, which basically had almost everything that Trump had passed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was signed by by a uh, by a Democrat. Uh, she condemned that as being uh, dangerous and just a package of far left priorities um, and also made the claim that it would allow taxpayer money to fund abortion, which, as it stands, it's already it's already illegal for mm-hmm. federal funds to go towards abortion, so that's factually incorrect. She also claimed it would provide uh, stimulus checks for illegal immigrants, criminals, and even terrorists, which... <laughs> well, you can't know if there are no terrorists in their name. <laughs> <laughs> like, which... Okay, the, the criminal's point, like, you're, you're still an American citizen. Yeah. You know, so... But 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 mm-hmm. the point about like undocumented immigrants, Nathan, um, it gives money to, get... to Satan because because <laughs> Satan is among us. <laughs> yeah. And like like in order to get a stimulus check, you had to have a social security number. So that's just a flat out lie. That's a flat out fucking lie. Um, she enthusiastically campaigned for Trump in the run-up to the 2020 election and, mm-hmm. of course, back in the 2016 election. And she claims that the Democrats were, quote, the party of anti-Semitism, the party of infanticide, and the party of socialism, all three of which are just factually incorrect. Um, she claims I love that, that she just throws in baby-killing among... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah, uh, she claims that uh, Kamala Harris was only selected because of her gender uh, and her and her race. Oh, and not her long-standing record as a public like civil servant and success in many levels of government. You're right; that yeah. had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, she also said that uh, Kamala uh, Kamala Harris sounded like Karl Marx when she said that um, Americans should uh, be given extra resources in order to uh, compete with wealthier Americans. Well, how would she uh, even know that? We don't have recordings of Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what he sounded like. <laughs> um, and she also said, she, she, she claims that the appointment of Kamala Harris was to placate the far-left socialist, uh, socialists in the party, which is hilarious because... Okay, worst I'm not placation ever. <laughs> yeah, worst placation ever. I don't... I mean... I don't know if you know this. I'm I'm assuming you don't. I'm assuming in your mind there's just Democrat bad, you know, conservative good, uh, unless it's Repub- uh, unless it's Trump. Um, but most of the people that are actually on the far left of the Democratic Party do not like Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. especially not the people that are legitimate socialists, which there are not that many legitimate socialists in the United States. There's no elected. No one in elected office who is an actual socialist. There are some people that are social Democrats that call themselves democratic socialists, mm-hmm. but they're not actually socialists. So the use of that rhetoric is just intellectually dishonest and stupid to begin with. Um, so 
All of this is to make it very, very clear who this woman is. She is not some maverick. She is not some moderate. She is not someone, you know, I, I would even, I would say that, like, look, I fucking hate Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. He has more cause to be thought of as a moderate than she does. Yeah, you know? I mean, he stood up to Trump, like, three times now, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this woman is disgusting. And also, on policy, she almost always agrees with Trump. In yeah. fact, according to her, uh, according to 538, her career in 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 her career while uh, Trump was president she voted with his position 92.9% of the time mm-hmm. and most of the time when time. she breaks with his opinion it's to do war stuff yeah <laughs> like like in december yeah. she um she overrode his veto of the defense bill uh and he vetoed it because it was like limiting his ability to get troops out of Afghanistan and stuff like that. Like we talked about the defense bill. There's a lot of crap in there, but like her reason for vetoing it was because she was more conservative than Trump or for overriding his veto was because she was more conservative than Trump. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to also put something into perspective in order to sort of transition, uh, to the important part of this commentary she is being replaced with a representative from New York named mm-hmm. uh, Elise Stefanik. Stefanik, Stefanik, whatever. I don't care, fucker. <laughs> um, and her Trump score, according to 538, is 77.7. 7. Mm-hmm. So on policy, she is less Trump-like, at least you know her record is, than Liz Cheney. Now, I think that it is important to note that because she is going to be in a more prominent position, she will have more public ire on her. It is very possible that she is going to just go further and further to the right. That is absolutely possible. But that doesn't change the fact that it is clear that Liz Cheney being taken out of leadership from the Republican Party has nothing to do with policy. Yeah. The only reason why she is being taken out of her leadership position is because she has been she has been telling the truth about how the election was not stolen. Mm-hmm. And she has been critical of Trump for his incitement of the January 6th insurrection. Yeah. And 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 the thing is it's because she's been vocal about it. Like if she had just said it and like, you know, left it at that, like they wouldn't have cared. They care about the rhetoric. They care about um, the, the imagery. They care about the image that she is projecting. Yeah. That's what they care about. They don't care about policy. They don't care about anything practical. And the funny thing is right after this, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the the current minority leader of the House, he straight up said at the he told reporters at the White House, quote, I don't think anybody is questioning the legitimacy of the presidential election. I think that is all over with. He said that. So basically, she is being ousted because she is continuing to call out the fact that there are people that refuse to admit that it wasn't stolen. Yeah. 
which means that she is bringing attention onto that issue, which to their perception is dividing the party more. Mm. But that's just such a stupid, but to, to claim that nobody is saying that anymore is stupid. Like just a week before this Trump released a statement saying, um, the, the fraudulent election of 2020 will be from this day forth known as the big lie. Mm. Like, <laughs> like everybody, like every Republican is questioning it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like every is Republican the is questioning the legitimacy thing that Trump is selling. Like, and, and after this happens, there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of other uh, Republicans that were critical that were basically like going after her, like, like representative Jim Jordan, mm -hmm. which, you know, we've talked about him on the, on the pod before. Mostly as an he asset, said, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely as an asset. He said, quote, you can't have a conference chair who recites Democrat talking points. Democrat talking points. Refusing to say that the election was stolen when it fucking wasn't. Yeah. You had your day in court. There were 60 different court cases that you had a chance to, to prove widespread voter fraud. And or any voter could, fraud. Even, even voter a little fraud. bit. <laughs> even a little bit. And you could not get it. You could not even prove, like, even individual cases, let alone widespread voter fraud. That is a Democrat talking point. That's a Democrat talking point. Just saying something that is objectively, mm -hmm. verifiably true. Yeah. Because questioning Trump, questioning his rhetoric, questioning even even whether he won the election, like won the popular vote, right? Like is a chink in the armor of the Republican electoral strategy, right? Like the electoral strategy of the Republicans in the coming years is seems to be shaping around two main principles. One is that Trump is right. Just full stop, Trump is the future of the party. And like, there's a reason why they think that that's a good winning, uh, you know, a good uh, strategy. And, and the reason is because even though Trump is like faded largely into the background, as we, as we discussed in our first segment, you know, he still remains really popular among the Republican party. And so I think, yeah. and he's one of the few things that is actually, you know, positive is a positive popularity among that party rather than just fear mongering. So according to a recent CBS YouGov poll, 89% of Republicans want, uh, they like Trump's approach to economics. 88% want to follow Trump's example on immigration issues. 77% prefer, uh, prefer Trump's model of, of interaction and treating the media. And an overwhelming majority of Republicans said that Trump represents the party on every single issue asked about. So like they really do think the 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 core of the Republican Party voters really do think that 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 is that Trump is the way to go. And the other prong of their electoral strategy as we've talked about on this show is voter suppression and 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 so questioning the the fact that the election was stolen is you know, an attack on that strategy as well. And so like Liz Cheney presents a really important problem for them because she's attacking both of their really important prongs of their go forward strategy. And, and the yeah. fact is that changing voter laws 
in they're winning on this issue, right? Like changing voter laws in order to win future elections is becoming more and more popular. So that same YouGov and CBS poll um, tried to figure out, you know, for core Republican voters, what they think the future of winning elections is like. And so they asked that, basically asking, uh, you know, Republicans who took the poll whether the future of the Republican Party winning elections should focus on messaging to make the party more appealing or should focus on changing voting rules to make sure that it has the votes to win. And 47% said that the party should change rules in order to win elections. Wow. So their their strategy is popular, <laughs> wow. and Liz Cheney is a problem for that. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. even though she aligns, to your point, so much better with the things that the Republican Party actually wants to accomplish, at least ostensibly wants to accomplish, is that they actually want to accomplish is retaining power. And Elise Stefanik, or whatever, her, however, whatever the emphasis is on her last name, represents... It better represents retaining power because she has shown that she is willing to, you know, be a full loyalist to the vision of America where Republicans hold reins of power with no purpose, with no nothing that they want to that they want to offer the American people about it. And they want to they want to do it by riding on Trump's coattails and by preventing, you know, Democrats from voting. And the last point I want to make about Liz Cheney is about her constant bringing up of the insurrection. So one of the one of the biggest things that propelled her onto uh, Trump's shit list was the fact that she yeah. voted to impeach him. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a House member, she voted to impeach him for inciting the the riot that led to the insurrection at the Capitol. So. As it stands, House Democrats are trying, we're, we're, we're trying to put together a commission to investigate the January 6th uh, insurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, there, was actually, there were actually reports that apparently during the, uh, during the insurrection, Kevin McCarthy actually called Donald Trump to say, hey, please send people, please come and help us. And Donald Trump at first basically just had told him, like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> he was like, oh, well, looks like these voters care a lot more about, you know, um, about protecting my reelection than you do. And that actually that actually leads to another important point about the overall Republican reaction to the insurrection. It has been to do everything they can to to move on, to pretend it never happened. And in fact, so when the commission was originally being put together, Kevin McCarthy sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi basically saying, hey, if you want to make this commission, I have three demands. Like the House Republicans are just asking for these three things. All right. Number one, an equal 5-5 ratio in appointments by Democrats and Republicans. So in in the commission that's investigating. Mm -hmm. Number two, co-equal subpoena power for the chair and the vice chair of the commission. So the vice chair would be from the minority party and the chair would be from the majority party. So they, they would have, they would both have the same amount of power to subpoena. And number, number three, 
No inclusion of findings other than pertinent conclusions, which ultimately should be rendered by the commission itself. And hmm. Nancy Pelosi gave them all three of these. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's giving away so much. Yeah, she gave them all three of those and they still refuse to support it. They still straight up refuse to support it. Now, just today, just before we started recording, uh, Congress did, uh, or the, the House of Representatives did vote to create this commission. So it's still happening, mm-hmm. just without the, the minority leader's support. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the reason why he's refusing to support it, even after they gave into all of his demands, which, you know, is very, like, that's just, so par for the course when it comes to Democrats. Yeah. Like, do everything you can to appease Republicans, shoot yourself in the foot, <laughs> and then they... And Republicans like, are like, oh, man, we really didn't think you would shoot yourself in the foot on that one. Uh, actually, never mind. <laughs> like, and the thing is, Liz Cheney represents a problem because they're trying to move on from that. It does not make them look good. Mm-hmm. They're trying to move on from that. They're trying to have the best of both worlds. They want to have Trump without the toxicity, but they want to have Trump voters supporting their reelection campaigns. And Liz Cheney is a threat to that. So the current Republican Party is not about policy, because if they were, they would still love Liz Cheney. Mm -hmm. They're not about solutions. They're not about proposals. They're just about doing what they can in order to maintain power. And right now, in their minds, the way to do that is to placate Trump as much as possible. So Liz Cheney, as terrible and awful as she is, in that specific regard, she's a threat to the Republicans. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Asshat of of the the Week. week. So Nathan, who, or should I say what, is our asshat this week? Oh yeah, you just you just gave away I the lead it. there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's burying the lead, and then there's just throwing it right at yeah. you. Um, so, it's like the so headline. Michael, our our ass hat this week is TurboTax. <laughs> Fuck yeah, TurboTax. That's a good move. Now, a huge part of this is brought on by something that personally happened to me mm. that I want to complain about, but also this is going to be a good lead in to our final segment today. So. I'm sure because uh, because it's been tax season due to, you know, it's 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 gone into May because the federal government uh, extended the deadline. Mm-hmm. A lot of you have probably been getting a lot of uh, advertisements from TurboTax where some random person just says the word free, free, free a bunch of times. Yeah. Like there's the, there's the one where there's the auction. There's like the auctioneer who's like, and free, and free, and free, 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 it's free, and free, 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 like over and over again. Um, so one might see a commercial like that and think, oh, wow, I should use TurboTax because it's free. TurboTax free edition must be free. So hmm. being... You kind of the stupid, stupid person stupid that I consumer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we use TurboTax to file, and we use the free edition. And I was thinking, okay, you know, I mean, filing your taxes is never fun, but, like, I, I don't think I've ever actually had to pay mm. uh, for, for any time that I've, I've filed my taxes. And it turns out that, like, because we took out student loans and we, you know, wanted... The we wanted our tax return to account for that. Mm-hmm. 
suddenly TurboTax free edition's not free anymore. Like we get we get to the end and it's basically like, all right, so you owe us eighty dollars. Yeah. And we're like, wait, fucking what? It's like, yeah, you have to. Here are your options: upgrade, upgrade to the uh, premium edition, or go shove a jack up your ass. <laughs> like, and, and the thing is, we were at the point where we'd been working all day, so like, if we had wanted to, we could have gone back and not try and like mm-hmm. unchecked that box. Yeah. But we would have had to have start the entire process over again, and we had been filing for four hours. Yeah. And at that point, we were just like, it's not worth it. And that's how they get you. They, that's uh, how they get you. Yeah, that's the how fatigue. they get you. And the thing is, like internal documents, not to tease our next segment, but the funny thing about the free, free, free stuff is that like there have been analyses and, and documents that have come out of TurboTax that, that basically say, huh, when we post free, 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 free all over our website, customers assume that it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm never using TurboTax again ever. Now, yeah. I'm probably going to have to use another one that's going to fuck me over, but sure. it's never going to be TurboTax. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, like H&R Block, which is my preferred. I've used both. I think I like H&R Block better. They are just as guilty of all that BS. Absolutely. Yeah. It is It is so frustrating. Every time I've used one of these softwares, they have charged me more money for a new level of service. It's like, my situation has not changed. Yeah. <laughs> And, and now, now it's like, you know, well over, uh, well over a hundred dollars, um, just to like file fairly basic taxes. So, yeah. And you're right. They're not transparent. They're just horrible about it. Yeah. Like if they, if they said like, like, like if next to the check mark, it said, by the way, if you, if you check this box off, then it's no longer free. Yeah. That would be one thing that would be like, oh, okay. You know? Like if they were transparent about it, yeah, that would be one thing. Because you could then say like, "Huh, am I, is is the eighty dollars I'm going to spend to do this uh, to buy this software worth the three dollars and fifty cents I'm going to get back for my student loan interest?" Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, there's definitely more that we're about to say about this, but in the meantime, a deep and hearty congratulations to TurboTax for being our ass hat of, of the, the week. week. For our last segment, we are talking about taxes, and that may not sound sexy to you, but uh, it's a pretty interesting subject. So, oh yeah, it's obviously no secret how complicated. Anybody who's filed taxes knows what a pain in the ass it is, and knows how complicated yeah. it is. Like, yeah, I get conf- like even from the first time you get your first job and you have to fill out a W two, and it's like yeah. a page of. If, if, and not this, but for this, then fill this out. And if that box is checked, then, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just this ridiculous thing. Yeah. And this complexity, you know, is felt by Americans everywhere. The IRS has over 800 forms yeah. related to taxes. There are, um, there are 1. billion hours spent by Americans every year on taxes 31 billion dollars is spent every year on performing taxes yeah it is an incredible time sink an incredible money sink just because it is so complex to try to tackle something that 
all of us are required to do by the government every year. And the biggest thing that we're going to emphasize in this and that we're going to basically spend the rest of the segment proving is that it doesn't actually need to be this hard. Yeah. And that it's actually very problematic that it is this hard. Yeah. So, you know, first off, I'm sure that anybody, Democrat, Republican, you know, the the one or two Republicans that might be listening, <laughs> if y'all exist, um, this this could be the one segment that you hear where you're like, holy shit, maybe these guys aren't that bad. <laughs> because, I mean, universally, we all know that tax season is hell. But the fact of the matter is, all of the information that you provide to the federal government in your taxes, when you file taxes, they have it already. They have all of it. And in fact, if... If the, if the federal government changed something, changed legislation, they could make it so that they do all of that shit for you. They fill it all out for you. And then they just send you a form and be like, hey, verify that this is correct. And then, you know, either you make a quick change like, hey, uh, actually, this part's wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then send it back and get it figured out or just, you know, sign it. Be like, yep, this is correct. And then you get your return. Yeah. And this process is actually referred to as return-free filing. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly enough, return-free filing was supported by both President Barack Obama and President Ronald Reagan. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) And it's something also that dozens of countries around the world do. Like, all over the world. And a lot of countries don't even have tax returns because they actually... Because what a tax return is, is a document to reconcile how much money you have given to the government versus how much money you owe the government, right? And so it's just a document to reconcile those two numbers. So with all the information that is transmitted to governments on a regular basis, like there's no real reason why we need to transmit, you know, paper documents in some cases once a year, right? Like we're transmitting money all the time to the IRS. That's what's taken out of your paycheck. So like the idea that they they can't get enough information in order to charge you just the right fucking amount. So you don't even need to to do a reconciling document at the end of the year is crazy. Like yeah. And and so like the fact is that as with many things, we're so far behind the ball on on our tax system. Yeah. And the reason behind it is just pure corruption. Mm. So, so let, let's 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 go back a little bit. About 17 years ago, uh, Intuit, which is the company that creates TurboTax and the IRS, uh, had an agreement with each other, where Intuit would create um, a a free online filing system for tens of millions of lower income taxpayers. And in exchange, the IRS would pledge not to create a government-run system. This is according to an article from ProPublica. So the agreement was make sure that there is a that there is a tool that people can use to file for free if they are lower income, and we will allow you to stay in business and not make it so that this is a government-run system, which 
you know, a lot of people might hear, well, I don't want things to be government run. We're talking about taxes. Yeah. It's already government run. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> fact that there is a private component to filing your taxes boggles is my mind. stupid. Yeah. So, but the issue is, they did everything they can in order to hide that free option at first. Now, as online uh, tax filing became more popular about 12 years ago, uh, Intuit launched a specific product. It was, it was the, the free edition of TurboTax. The thing with this one, though, is it was actually more insidious than the, the program that they had hit in their website that they made almost impossible to reach because it advertised as itself as being free but created traps throughout it in order to lure different customers in to paying significant amounts of money with the promise of it being free. So we talked about the trap that I had fallen into earlier where because I checked one box... Um, because you had the audacity to have I student loans. I had the loans. audacity to have student loans <laughs> um, that suddenly like we're, we're being charged a significant amount of money for, for using, using the, um, uh, using TurboTax. Even though initially I was, I was drawn to the product because of the promise of it being free. Mm -hmm. So it's actually more insidious. Yeah. When there is a free tool out there that up until recently TurboTax had literally hidden from Google searches. And Intuit spokesperson actually was talking about uh, their, their product and he, he, he made the claim, quote, we empower our customers to take control of their financial lives, which includes being in charge of their own tax preparation, a government pre-filed tax preparation system that makes the tax collector, who is also the investor, auditor, and enforcer, the tax preparer is fraught with conflicts of interest no it's not no it's not <laughs> <laughs> that is like it's taxes it's already the government yeah and and like and the if tax they had a conflict of issue if, if they had a conflict of interest they would all like they have the information yeah if they purposely falsified the information, a third party that you have to put your information into that gets sent to the government, that wouldn't help you. Yeah, yeah. the the IR, the job of the IRS is not to get as much in taxes as possible. Yeah. It's to get the They're right amount. They're not a for-profit industry. <laughs> They're yeah. not a for-profit industry. You're a for-profit industry, which yeah. means that you, you have, have a conflict, conflict of, interest. of interest. Yeah, your goal is to get as many people... <laughs> To, to pay to file their taxes as possible. Full stop. That is your goal. That, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, the only thing that can be more conflict of interest is if you got a kickback from the government every dollar you got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing yeah. is, like, that government's not interested in that. They're not trying to, yeah. like, make more in taxes by, by tricking people. There's no conflict of interest there. So they've actually been explicitly lobbying Congress. Yeah. But, Behind closed doors, I might add, yeah. for basically the last, like, two decades. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the CEO of Intuit even said, quote, what we're not going to do is fight this publicly because that is exactly what they want us to do. Mm. Like, th this was in a video that was released to the staff of, um, uh, to, to, to the staff of the, the Intuit people. Um, 
And it, it was the video was obtained by ProPublica. Yeah. So they're openly admitting, look, we can't win a public battle on mm-hmm. this. All right. There's no fucking way we can win a public battle yeah. on this. So we're going to bribe people behind closed doors with campaign contributions and lobbying efforts in order to make sure that Congress keeps things the way it is so that we can continue to make billions of dollars while people have the most, well, April continues to be everyone's most miserable month. Yeah. And the thing is like, you're right. Like they're not trying to fight it explicitly in the public, but they are trying to sow the seeds of distrust in government in a grassroots way. Like even the spokesperson, the quote you said from the spokesperson is meant to set up a non-real uh, adversarial relationship between the taxpayer and the IRS. Yeah. Which is like, and, and the fact is that because of the way the IRS is set up, because they're set up like, you know, they even have an auditing arm that instead of just charging people the taxes that they owe, they require people to fire their own taxes and then they screw them over if they, if they mess it up, you know, like, yeah. like, the IRS is not helping themselves out from an adversarial perspective, but companies like Intuit are are spending money specifically trying to get, you know, uh, to get us to not to trust that, you know, the IRS is trying to get the right amount of money from us. And so basically they're trying to frame it yeah. as changing the system would be bigger government. Yes. But keeping the system as it is is big government. Because it creates more possibility of people making mistakes mm-hmm. and the government coming after you, the government auditing you. Yeah. The government has to increase its size in order to like in yeah. order to keep up with increase that. its size and increase its enforcement, right? Like yeah. now the IRS is in some way like a law enforcement arm? What? That's ridiculous. The fact that they go out and levy fines, that's crazy. You know, yeah. like there's no reason why that wouldn't necessarily be the case. But the fact is that like the the overlap of, you know, the tax preparation industry with government provides an incentive for making this process as painful and as complex as possible, which has, you know, real costs. Like we talked about the billions of dollars that are spent on tax preparation. And, we, and the fact that in 2019, 40% of U.S. taxpayers filed online, and 40 million of them did that with TurboTax, you know? And, and between 2011 and 2015, Intuit spent $13 million on lobbying Congress, specifically on trying to, to oppose automatic filing of taxes. And there really are huge costs to us beyond just the pre, you know, predatory... the average of like, I think $270 spent by Americans per person on tax preparation. The fact that our system is so complicated and we use it for so much means that it's, it's inherently regressive because the most wealthy people are the ones that are able to pay experts to prepare their documents appropriately. On top of that, the itemized deduction is one of the main things that makes it so complicated 70% of Americans don't itemize deductions, but it's included in there and, and it makes it really complicated and only the wealthiest people, it only makes sense for the wealthiest people to itemize, um, 
their tax deductions. So like the, the fact is that like, you know, our, our system is, is catered toward the wealthy and the preparation tools that are used for the people that aren't wealthy are not only predatory, but also they go through the process like I did just a few days ago. Oh, you have to go through and make sure you get your most savings by spending hours itemizing your deductions. Well, turns out standard deductions good for you, bub. And, you know, it's a total waste of fucking time. On top of that, 27% of people that attempted to file for the earned income tax credit made errors, which cost $18 billion to Americans because for just that one tax credit, and that tax credit is one of the most important tax credits for low-income Americans. So simplifying that, that alone, would pay huge dividends just in terms of, you know, people actually filing. So a high percentage of people, you know, don't claim it because they don't either know about it or, you know, or they don't file their taxes correctly. And it would save people a ton of money in terms of errors. Because as Nathan pointed out, the government has this information already. Okay, and with that, we'll end our episode as we usually do on our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Well, I think Michael already knows what my highlight is. <laughs> so, uh, I got a new dog. <laughs> I I have a... Jess and I decided that it was time for us to get uh, a, a pet. Uh, we already have my service dog, who, uh, while she's at home, she's basically a pet, but... We thought it was time to welcome another animal into our life, um, and so we went through this rescue agency, and we adopted this beautiful golden retriever mixed with, um, <laughs> named Scarlet, and she is so sweet. She does this thing where she'll like, you know, she'll very gently jump up and just give you a hug. Like she'll wrap her arms around you and like pull hmm. you towards That's her so cute. to give you a hug. Um, she is playful and ah, she's just, she's just the cutest and it has been so nice to welcome her into our family. Uh, and you know, I, I could not pick a better highlight for this week. Dude, congratulations. That is so exciting. She looks really adorable. I can't yeah. wait to meet her sometime. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Michael? What was your highlight? I think my highlight is actually upcoming. I think, um, I, next week, Bri and I are going to the beach. Don't worry, I'll still be on the pod, but uh, we'll be at the beach with her family, uh, which will just be really nice. You know, a little bit of time away. Uh, it's going to be rainy and cloudy, but uh, still nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That sounds awesome. I, I, I hope you all have a great time. Yeah, it should be good. And so with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. You'll hear from us again next week.